0: All right, welcome everybody. Uh, this is Strike the Box, well, uh, back for our second podcast, or webcast. Uh, so tonight, uh, we are able to get our um, technical difficulties, so uh, we have all four of our guests, or all four of us here tonight. Um, just as a little review, my name is Ben Waples, I'm a captain with the Salisbury Fire Department in Salisbury, Maryland. Uh, and we'll take that over to Trevor, uh, in and Palm Beach Shores. So go ahead, Trevor.
1: All right, thanks, Ben. Um, Good evening, everybody. It's Trevor Steedman. Ben said, I'm chief down at Palm Beach Shores. I've had the privilege of uh, working with Bobby for several years up in Ocean City and also teaching with Bobby and Ray in different places throughout the country. So, uh, hope you all enjoyed this evening. I've got to say this put in the editorial comment right off the bat. Uh, Bobby and Ray are probably two of the smartest people I know in the fire service. Uh, I was talking to Ben the other day about a conversation. Uh, You guys may or may not remember it, but I think we were down in San Antonio after training, and uh, Bobby and Ray and uh, Dennis Legear were all having a conversation, and I felt like a brick with a thumbs. thumb. So uh, yes. you you can absorb a lot from these guys. They uh, you know they they have the numbers, they have the background, they have the experience. So uh, I'm looking forward to learning just as much from them tonight as I am running my mouth. So uh, with that, I'll pitch it over to you, Bobby. You know, after training. And, uh, well, welcome everybody. And Glad to see everybody
2: here. You know, it's, uh, it's a nice day outside, finally here. The wind laid down a little bit where I'm at. So I got to get outside. Um, welcome, Ray. Appreciate you coming in and talking to us. Uh, uh, I have 32 years in the fire service. I'm currently a lieutenant in the New York City Fire Department. And uh, I take care of the training for the department. And uh, looking forward to our talk. Ray, how about you, man?
3: Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Um, i um, basically sequestered, as most of us are, and everything's uh, okay. down. Years of fire and uh, like I said, it's uh, going to be a good show. Our topic is good, and I'm looking forward to it.
0: All right, great. Um, so in case everybody wasn't sure what we we're going to talk about tonight, um, UL uh, recently released a report, a report that uh, Ray was a part of. Uh, So we've got Ray here tonight. We can pick his brain, Uh, but the the report uh, was that from a research study on coordinated suppression and ventilation uh, practices in single family houses. Um, So prior to this, we we sat around and discussed and have some questions that we're going to throw at Ray um, since he was intimately involved in the in the research and was there for that and get his responses and. you know, hopefully build off of that and um, get some questions going and see where we go. Um, so for tonight, uh, why don't we get Bobby to start uh, with his first question uh, and see what he has to say. Okay. Well, Ray, it's
2: good to see you again, sir. Um, you know, one of the things we, I looked I looked at the study is 500 pages, so it's kind of a lot to digest in a short period of time. So I kind of looked over it a little bit and saw all the things that you guys worked on. Um my question is: uh, I look, I saw that there's some tests on second floor uh, residential fires and a uh, first floor kitchen fire fly- fires, and I knew that um you had tested the the, the the transitional attack versus the interior attack. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you guys found out, what you experienced with all of that?
3: Sure. This uh, this coordinated uh, attack study. Um, is built basically off of the previous study i believe the uh the fire attack study and a lot of what we learned in the previous study is is in this study as well and is further developed as well we looked at in the previous study which was uh which i was part of the fire attack study we looked at interior attack first time really that they looked at interior fire attack they had already uh examined exterior fire attack quite a bit or some people call it transitional fire attack we ul spent a lot of time looking at that but in the previous study they also of course introduced the interior fire attack now this study basically built on that and i was lucky enough to be grandfathered into this study uh with three other uh, panelists and that was the first time they did that so This is the second study I've been involved with, and basically one followed the other. So in this study, we used real buildings. In the previous study, we used constructed buildings that were built in their burn lab in uh, Illinois. And in this one, people wanted to use actual buildings. So the variables, there's always variables, but they tried to control the amount of variables while still using real buildings. So uh, this gave us a more of a true-to-life example of what happens in these buildings. Um, and the results, of course, are there to read. Now, this report, like you said, this is only a third of the actual report that's going to come out. There's going to be two more sections. Uh, one will be the commercial and one will be the multi-family uh, fire test that they're doing or they've already done. So there's three parts, the single-family home, the most common home fire in the United States, was looked at through the lens of interior fire attack and transitional fire attack, exterior fire attack first, followed up by an interior fire attack. And it was interesting. I was at the location. We did a lot of these burns in Ohio. And I was at the the field experiment because the panelists are invited to go and look and And help with any questions that might come up. So, one of the questions that did come up that was kind of interesting was fire on a second floor. Now, they were going to simulate that one line was doing this, but basically, they weren't going to use one line, they were going to use two. But what we wanted to simulate was the time that it might take if somebody went down the B side of a private dwelling, set up for it exterior fire attack on a second floor bedroom, and then repositioned the line to the front door, got that line set up again, and then went up the interior stairs to the second floor. So there were several panel members there, and we had to discuss and figure out kind of quickly what was the, an average amount of time that might take two firefighters to do. So we we talked about it for a while, and we came up with a one-minute time difference. So basically what happened was once the exterior fire attack was completed and they saw a change in conditions, basically meaning that the fire, the flame that was coming out the window darkened down, they would shut that line down and reposition reposition it to the front door and then go in. So we used two lines to do that but basically it was under the premise of just one attack line being stretched, and then it would go upstairs and and continue the fire attack. So uh, the, the second story fires, as you know, when you use an exterior fire attack off plane, in other words, up to a different elevation, also gives typically a different result because you can't get the stream into the room like you could on a first floor fire. When you saw some of the examples of the first floor fire, the nozzle was able to actually go inside the building through the window opening and get basically the rest of the room wet. When you use an exterior fire attack, the stream is hitting the ceiling and it's getting on the walls and it's getting good surface coverage, but there are portions of the room that do not get wet by the water, basically. And this is why you see the fire redevelop and this is why they go in and try and finish it off from the interior, whereas the interior fire attack, you basically do all of that within the one motion. It's very efficient. So the difference there is the stream is not on the same level, and this gives us a different result, and this is to be expected basically anytime the stream is used what we call off-plane. Interior fire attack, you basically do
0: All right. So as far as tactically, you, know, you pull up to to that, um, you know, that residence and you have that. Is that something where we should look at and say, hey, we've got the we've got the staffing where I can put one person outside while and they can knock it from the window. And then we while our other crew stretches uh, for that second floor.
3: Well, of course, that is a, a tactical option for companies, of course, but. You know, we all know that a lot of departments, uh, the staffing is not as high as we might like. And even though that sounds fairly easy to do, uh, it's not as easy to do as it sounds on an initial blush. Um, that, that line that goes down, and they had a great house there. They had a house where the B and the D sides um, were on grade. Basically, they went downhill. And the line that was stretched to hit the bedroom on the second floor had to be brought to the property line of the adjoining house and taken down uh, the sidewall of that house about 20, 25 feet, and then taken in closer to the actual fire building because of the brush that was around the fire building and the hedges. And basically the topography of the uh, property was such that it really was the only way to do that and you could see if that was done in real time that would have been very slow. The other thing that you find out with a fire on the second floor is typically the first floor is pretty clean and it's just a matter of going up the stairs maybe there's some fire in the hallway and you can hit that on your way up so that second floor fire you can manage pretty well from a safe area below and then move on up so it while people can drop two lines and, and attack the fire that way, like we did uh, in our in our test. Probably the the faster way would probably be just to go inside with the line and make sure that you can secure that stairway because that is the egress point for anyone else that's trying to get off that second floor. Uh, so some of these fires, although they may seem like they might be a good candidate for exterior fire attack, it might actually be faster to just go inside and take care of it.
1: Okay. Hey Ray, if you would, for a minute, um, could you talk to the size of the crews that were being used? I know that you're always a big proponent of practicing like you play and, and try to train with the actual amount of people that you're using. I know it's not uncommon for a lot of the engine company chauffeurs to also be throw the first ladder and be the outside vent person. So, if you could talk for a minute uh, about the crew sizes, whether you're using the first in engine, first in truck, or all in the same crew. And then the second thing, if you wouldn't mind speaking to it, is uh, for the interior fire attack, talk about the positioning in the hallway. I know uh, you've done a lot of that with your line boss leadership, as far as being on the opposite side of the hallway versus the same side as the fire room. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, kind of bring us up to speed on that, please.
3: Sure, um, on the first portion of the staffing, When we did the uh, fire attack study, it was basically three firefighters, the nozzle, the backup, and they had another firefighter at the door. So that was, I would say that would be fairly typical of most fire departments, that they could pretty much handle that. And that was, that was done, you know, to show basically two firefighters going in, uh, one could have been the officer or just strictly a backup firefighter. So I don't think the staffing was out of the ordinary for the fire attack study. This coordinated uh study of course brings in the additional component of active ventilation by the fire department. So um that that was what they were looking at. And we had a lot of people on the panel who had a lot of interest in this, of course, because their department uh is either um, into horizontal ventilation or vertical ventilation of peaked roof dwellings, private homes. So this was like a big deal for a lot of firefighters on the ladder comp, what would typically be the ladder company side of things. So we had the engine side and the ladder side. Uh, as for staffing, UL will use uh, typically the host fire department, uh, their firefighters in a lot of these scenarios to perform the functions that they're looking to do. Now, remember, this is a bit of a staged, it is a real fire, but some of the aspects are a little staged or timed out. And there is some uh, forgiveness of, like I said, the topography of that house would have, We our transitional time might have been greater than a minute in reality. But we had to come up with something that we felt was a balance for Let's just say something that maybe took 30 seconds and this one took a minute and a half. So you come up with an average and that's what we did. So I remember one of the uh, components where we took the front windows of the house is a two story house, took the second floor windows in the front. And they were going to climb up the ladder and then do it. And I and I talked to uh, Robbins of OTEC, who was uh, coordinating the effort there, that. I said, I think we're going to lose a lot of time if we do that. I think we just need to stage these people on the porch roof, and when we give the signal to vent, we give the signal to vent. Now these these differences aren't astronomical when it comes to what goes on. Uh, UL is smart enough to figure out, you know, what the differences might or may not be because they run tests with basically nothing happening and as sort of a baseline, and then all these other things that come into play. So. Uh, there aren't 500 experiments on each thing, though. They're, that is true. But I think you have to find a happy medium. These are uh, difficult tests to organize. They they take a long time to set up. And I would say that they do have um, the vested interest of the fire service at heart because uh, we're there to make sure everything goes the way we think it should go in the field. And they've been very... Uh, forthright with uh, making sure that things are uh, well balanced. So, for staffing, I wouldn't say it was heavy at all. Um, I would say it was pretty much average staffing that they used for all the experiments. And I just saw somebody asking me something about, you know, sometimes they might see a few firefighters on the line uh, during some of these experiments. Uh, we did some uh, commercial buildings as well. And yes they're on the line but they're not you know necessarily impacting it in the sense that uh we needed them there they're just they're there they're participants they get involved but i don't think it really impacts what we're doing so uh staffing i would say was fairly average for uh a company you know within the united states as to the the other question which was um I feel like a reporter here. The second question, which was about <laughs> uh going down the hallway, um UL has has built a hallway. Um basically from the attack study. When when we did the attack study, I requested that we change the configuration of the house. They were looking to do something more of like a a second floor, if you will, of a of a colonial or or a big house where they'd have multiple bedrooms off the hallway. So we needed a a hallway that had some distance. So I asked for a nice long hallway and they gave us one. Uh, A hallway in the fire attack study was approximately 25 feet long by three feet wide by eight feet tall. Now it's kind of narrow. When I first saw it in uh, uh, Illinois, I was like, man, I'd never buy a house that had this hallway. It just felt very confining. but it's reminiscent of a lot of the buildings we have in New York City as well, so uh being from New York City, I wanted something that kind of replicated what we could what we could be involved with on a daily basis. so they were they were nice enough to do that, and I think it added a lot to uh, uh the study of fire attack. I think it greatly added to our uh, base of knowledge. so one of the things that I had talked a long time about a long time ago about and I had done some training videos on it was that if you're on the opposite side of the hallway where the fire is in other words if you have the a b corner bedroom on fire and you go down that hallway you should try and position yourself on the charlie side of that hallway because uh you'll get your stream into the room a little bit earlier than if you were to stay on the uh the a wall of that hallway because you basically have to have your shoulder up against the doorbuck to get water in there so Uh, That was something they looked at and have since uh, publicized. Uh, Keith Stakes, who's a research engineer with UL, um, he and I have done some uh, classes together uh, based on on the study, uh, the fire attack study, and we've also done some hands-on training, which basically shows the water mapping of the hallway and rooms. So UL has now built a a beautiful prop of a hallway and a room and i know our fire department is interested in having that as well because it's a great training uh prop to show uh firefighters what the water is doing and how best to uh, use it and how to get an early fire attack on that room from the interior so uh, the water mapping and the air entrainment kind of run hand in hand. And I'm very happy to see that we have this interior um, aspect of firefighting that was missing for quite a while. And I was a vocal proponent of the fact that we needed to get the interior uh, of the fire attack because we that missing scientific component was... Uh, not helping the fire service. And we have it now and we're building on it. The ventilation study builds on it and it's wonderful. There's something in there for everybody.
1: Good deal. Thanks for, for that, Ray. And uh, one of the reasons I asked about the staffing question, I think it was 2010, give or take, uh, you probably remember the NIST report, the residential fireground field experiments and that seemed to be very heavy on staffing. And I know they use the National Capital Region and their typical staffing on the first, uh, first alarm box assignment, but for the majority of the country that runs probably with you know two, three, if they're lucky, four people on the engine, that's refreshing to hear that uh, you guys kept it in a really realistic realm that we can apply because a lot of people are looking for that, how do I apply it to my local department and how do I translate the information and use it? So I think you guys did a great job on that
3: yeah i think um there's, there's some things that should be done sequentially and through coordination and i think that's that's a way that your staffing if it's not as high as you might like uh gives you the opportunity to at least control what people are doing and the sequential aspects of fire attack uh is something that the fire service really needs to look at so that staffing is not just this crutch that we're always uh leaning on the fact that we have a a better plan that uses uh, more further detailed, coordinated activities, I would say. And uh, that, that'll help us out quite a bit.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Ray, for that. And um, Bobby, I know that you're, Bobby's a numbers guy. He's a, he's a mathematician at heart. And when it comes to trying to translate fire flow rates to your first in-engine company, and I know this is a battle that you fought uh, you know, locally and regionally, is a lot of your pump operators don't want to put the time into figuring out the math and figuring out what they need to do. And uh, we run a lot of pre-connected hand lines and they often tell you, tell me the 3 a.m. things that I need to know, nothing more. And we're kind of trying to teach that demographic now, the uh, the YouTube generations, if you will. And I don't mean that as a, as a slight, it's just a, a learning process is different than what some of us came up with. So, Bobby, can you uh, talk for a minute just about how you translate some of this information as a key training officer to your chauffeurs and pump operators and put it into effect? Yeah, Trevor. Um, you know, we live in a world of three
2: person engine companies. So, realistically, we have two people. So, um, us, like a vast majority of the country are really what I we're a linear fire department what that means is um we're normally have an engine crew that shows up with a period of time that has to go to work and then a truck company comes later another engine company comes later so uh we end up having to prioritize um a lot of what we're doing so a lot of what we have to do is we have to be really good at laying or lying out in the yard right before you open the place up because we know one opening in the uh, UL studies is, is, is not good. Two openings is, can be catastrophic with a tangled up line or the line's not ready or it's crossed across or you know, those types of things that happen. So um, when we look at this, I look at the, the, the amount of time that you need to get to the room and knock the room down. Um, so for us, uh, a lot of times it's just impractical uh, because once you charge that line, if you wanna do say a transitional attack on a second floor if we're only truly actually getting a 10% knockdown on the fire, um, one could argue that by the time you do that and move a charge line back where it needs to be to go up the door, then you're going to simply be actually have more fire probably than what you started off with. So, you know, we're kind of looking at all that like we don't have an extra person. I know the guys came back from a high rise conference. They said we'll send an extra guy up to check the stairs before you open the door up and, and send an extra guy to do this and, and have an extra guy to monitor this. And it's like, yeah, we, we just don't have those extra guys uh, where I'm at. So we really have to prioritize what we're doing. So we spend more time, more focus on leaving the door closed until you're ready. And then, then you when you open the door, it's game time. You have to go. Um, obviously, in all these studies, people having camping at the end of hallways before they make the room is a very, very bad idea we all knew that but now what the science is just kind of pulling it all together and saying yeah you know that's really that that really is what it's at and you know when ray talks about going the opposite side of the hallway it simply means that you're getting water in that room quicker than if you do it the other way so a lot of this stuff is real simple and most of us really knew it uh, but now what's great is the science is coming along and actually you know, showing us how much of the water rides on the ceiling. It doesn't actually land on the, the bed on fire or the sofa on fire or anything like that. How much of the water is not making it where we think it's going. Um, you know, those types of things are, are invaluable just to, to make us not argue as much. We can have facts and say, listen, this is what we saw. You know, this is where we're at. Um, I know you're I think you're around. I started doing a thing where you, we took a stream and flowed for five minutes into a, a room in the burn building and sat in there with buckets. And then buckets would never fill the water. So that represented the bed. So I think the the UL is now saying, yeah, it, you're not going to fill, you're not going to hit that bed. You're going to hit that wall. Ray and I had a, a conversation the other day and we were talking about, you know, is, is the, the, the no getting worse in the hallway from next year attack? Is that from the water vaporizing me to take it right back out the vent? And Ray said, "Well, maybe it's because it's hitting the back wall and causing a water curtain across the door, essentially like closing the door with a water curtain if it's riding the ceiling." So we could look at kind of all those things from more um, a more scientific basis, I guess you could say. Um, the good news is that that interior fire attack is becoming very, very important again because you know my thought process is to get a line in between potential victims and property and that fire. And um, if the majority of fires inside of that box, you got to go inside of that box Um, if the majority of fires on the outside of that box, you got to go on the outside of that box. And so that's what I want to talk to another question for Ray is, um, you know, talk to us about some situations where you feel a transitional attack is actually the best way to approach a fire um, thinking about those things
3: well i think if you have a fire that's uh on the exterior of the building that would be one of the biggest uh reasons to do that in other words so you have a two two and a half story private dwelling you have a car going on the uh you pass the building let's say and now you're on the bravo side your apparatus on the bravo side but on the uh delta side of the building you have a car on fire, and it's uh, going up the siding, and it's possibly getting into the eave line of the house. You have to hit that fire, and basically, uh, the prevailing theory now is hit it up high, uh, try and stop that fire from going into the attic space of that house, and then bring the line down and hit the main body of fire. Now, again, you may you may not put this fully out. But you definitely have to take uh, the energy out of this uh, fire and not just go into the interior. you got to work this outside fire and then bring the line on to the inside and see. And this should also help you determine um, which part of the house is more involved. I mean, you're going to have to check the first floor, obviously. You wouldn't just run upstairs necessarily, but... Uh, it could give you a better indication of what which part of the home is has fire in it you know what what part has fire in it from the outside fire but that would be a perfect example of when you need to do that other examples have always been with us things like um, heavy uh, forcible entry issues uh, where we maybe need a saw to cut our way into the house because they've got a, a gate that just can't be forced, Uh, people that are entrapped, wind driven, uh, hoarding conditions, things like that. Things that have always been around where we need to take some energy out of the fire. Um, If you're on the steps of a house, a lot of times fire that's coming out of the windows is uh, putting a hurt on firefighters until they get inside, something like that. Uh, You could certainly take a hit on that before you move in. So. Those things have always been with us, uh, whatever is up to the engine officer to decide. But when you bring a line uh, a far distance away from your main entry point to to do something, it could be much more labor intensive than it might be worth. But again, that's uh, up to the people on scene to do. But the one I would say for sure, if you have an outside fire, you need an outside hand line. And uh, that could be the interior hand line as well, but you definitely have to take uh, some of the energy out of the thing that's uh, impinging on the house. And then the next thing you know, you have fire up in the attic uh, if because you didn't do anything. And the other thing is, now if you bring the line inside, you really have no idea what the status of the fire is, and you're hoping that somebody else puts a second line on that. That's not that's not really the best way to operate. So. Impinging
2: on the house. Okay, thanks, Ray. Yeah, so um, one thing to remember when we're talking about these types of attacks is uh, if it's from the exterior, and you're not having to move the line down a hallway. We don't necessarily have to tie up our entire crew. So in the world of not a whole lot of staffing, even if you take your driver operator and let them have a line and say knock down the the single car garage is burned while the other crew is getting a line in between that garage and the victims and the property. I think we've got to remember to not tie up a three or four person engine totally on doing something like that. We can actually kind of divide and conquer and have somebody else, uh, you know, traditional uh, master stream attack off of an engine is probably a good example of that, where the firefighters can be stretching the line and doing the things they need to do and forcing the door and getting inside of the building to, 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 potentially rescue people or to at least keep the fire from the rest of the building while somebody else is doing it. So I think, you know, sometimes we look at this um, in a linear approach. Um, it doesn't make sense to some firefighters, but remember, it doesn't have to be on the outside. If you're not pushing a line, you can flow quite a bit of uh, water uh, by yourself, as long as you're not pulling that line somewhere um, down carpet or things like that. So it's just some of the things that we need to think about in the fire services. We need to think about, You know, We need to make our situation better for those people inside, but we also need to get things going and get inside and get the people out. They may well be unconscious need to get out in a hurry, and we need to kind of make that happen. So as I look at all the studies and look at all the things, I think we need to tie it together as a fire service, and it's really dependent on the staffing of your fire department. If you have a five-person engine, you can do way different things than you can with a three-person engine, which a three-person engine can do a lot more than a two-person engine can. So it's just... It's, it's We got to take this information and, and digest it for a while. Um, and we probably won't really have a, a, a handle on this Ray probably until spring. I mean, looking at all this different information and stuff coming out and, and kind of, you know, mulling it over and looking at what's going on. Then you got to couple it with the other fire stream studies that Ray was involved in. Uh, then you got to couple it with the ventilation impact studies that the, the UL did. Um, there's just a whole lot of things that you got to kind of link together um, and the message, like I said, just last week, and I say it again this week, um, the biggest problem, the fire service, is we're, we're very impatient. We want stuff to happen right now. And if we start making drastic changes to our procedures and policies, before we vet through all this information, we can do ourselves a disservice. Um, I think it, that's kind of what happened with the transitional attack was it became like the the, the golden standard if you want to call it that but people were really taking very limited information and making a lot of speculation about what it is. We just can't do that in the fire service. We need to settle down, take a look at all the information, really think about it and and be consistent in our message. You know, I think right now, we know that going inside is the most important thing for the majority of our interior fires. Um, But we need to look at all this stuff and kind of make it so we're more efficient. So um, that's, I mean, that's pretty much it. It's great to hear from Ray and great to hear the the different things that are going on in these studies. And I'm sure the next next couple are really going to be good. So I got to do my homework before the next one comes out. When's the next one come out, Ray? Uh,
3: It's coming out soon. It'll be the commercial portion. Um, That'll be uh, the second piece that comes out. It's right now uh, been given to panel members to review. So I I don't know when that's going to happen, but uh, it's in the pipeline. Let's put it that way. Uh, One of the things I would, just like to add on to what you were saying, Bobby, is that when you assign someone else to, let's say, uh, take care of a, an exterior fire, let's say, like you said, it's a garage or or and the, the balance of the company goes interior, I don't have an issue with that. I think that's a good idea. Uh, if you can split that crew, that's good. And I would say that the majority of the American Fire Service is well set up to do that with uh, pre-connected hand lines. Now, uh, pre-connected hand lines can, you know, sometimes they get uh, dinged on a bit because they're basically very uh, one size fits all. And sometimes people overstretch uh, with them and that causes issues. But it also gives a single firefighter the opportunity to rapidly deploy a handline, a short distance handline. So that is advantageous to the fire service and small fire departments. But one of the cautionary tales I would say is that we have to be very careful with assigning, let's say, the driver to uh maybe the Charlie side of a building to do fire attack and not be fully ready to do more than just an exterior hit. And I would say that the cautionary tale for that comes when we have the uh, low, a low fire, a low entry and a high exhaust fire. So in other words, the lower floor of a building, let's say uh, the, the basement or first floor, uh, the room is on fire there and the firefighters are trying to gain access to that from a level above that in the front, And that firefighter basically goes around back and takes a hit on that fire, which is fine, Uh, that works, but we could also be faced with a situation where that's not enough. In other words, that initial knockdown is not enough and there's more fire beyond that point that can't be readily seen, but the effects of which are being felt by people above. So. And they can't necessarily do anything about it because the challenge of going down a superheated stairway is still there. So we may get some good traction out of that firefighter being in the back, but being unable to advance on the inside because they don't have SCBA or they don't have all their PPE on is a concern. So um, somebody hitting a small bedroom on the same level from the rear, some people want to do that. We've never really studied uh, low gallonage hand lines like booster lines, so while they can work, we don't get into recommending that because that's out of the purview of the study. So people have to be careful about, you know, take what's written, understand the parameters that the studies were used within, and be guided by that Um, when, people start doing things that aren't on the previous script and saying that it was, well, that, that could be a problem. So it's just something I've seen uh, in the multifamily dwelling, there's going to be a fire just like I described. And uh, you know, you'll stay tuned for those results, but uh, that's always been a problematic fire. Bill Gustin just wrote a piece on that. Basically he had what he called a cellar fire on the fourth floor. He basically had a, a duplex down apartment fire and um so that's that's a concern when when you have that low air entry in the high exhaust and we know that the fire service has taken uh uh we've had fatal fires with that with our own people so that's uh something to be careful about
1: and ray i'd have to agree with you on that um one of the big concerns that I have, especially probably in the last several years since these UL studies first started coming out, is that a lot of chief officers, a lot of company administrators were looking for that that turnkey tactic that you know every single time they would have steps A, B, and C. And they took that tactical decision making away from some of their officers, a lot of it based on experience levels. But to me, the mode of attack should be based on The conditions you have on arrival, where the fire is going to be now, where it is in five minutes, survivability profile versus each and every time we're going to do a, uh, you know, some sort of a combination attack or exterior then interior, we're going to go full bore interior. These are some things where I think overall in the fire service, and you and I have had this conversation, we really have done an abysmal job over the years of teaching fire behavior beyond the very, very basic uh, block of instruction in the academy. And the more people learn about the fire behavior and be able to engross themselves in this and understand what they can and can't do, there are capabilities and limitations. And I know it's repetitive for me to say, but I always talk about being that you know, best one line fire department you can be as an engine company. That first line needs to be the best it can possibly be, best position, best flow, and uh, you know, the best possible tactics involved. And uh, Ben, if you don't mind, uh, I know between myself, Bobby and Ray, Uh, We all came in the fire service roughly around the same time. You've been around for a while also, but talking to somebody who bridges a couple different generations than the other three of us, how are you interpreting some of this information and going to put it to use? Because I think now we're starting to get some really good practical information that at the company level, especially we can use to make good tactical decisions. So you as a company level officer uh, bridging those earlier generations uh, than us, what, what do you think this is going to do for us and how are you going to apply it?
0: Yeah, I think um the the big thing for us and at, at the company level is, is trying to like you said educate our people um on fire behavior, building construction, uh, have an idea of, you know, this is where I see the fire now and understand where the fire is going to go next um and how we need to be aggressive and um stop that bef- and, and limit that uh extension as much as we can. So um You know, taking and making sure that we're we are like you said, the best one-line fire engine, uh, the best fire company that we have, uh, that that can go and do that. Um, I I wrote some notes down as you guys were going over some stuff earlier, uh, and I think it was uh, either some training that we've done with you and Bobby, uh, Trevor, or um, I'm not sure where I heard about. I'm I'm almost positive it was it was from you guys uh, that, regardless of what. what tactic we're going to use, whether we're going defensive, we're going offensive, we're going transitional, whatever you want to call it, um, that you just don't pass fire. If you see fire, you can put it out, then, then do that. Um, and it makes your job easier as you go from there. I see Bobby shaking his head. I'm, I'm always positive that, you know, again, we were standing around uh, outside the burn building and Bobby had, had mentored uh, mentored that into us a little bit. Um, and, that, and that, I think that's huge. Um, you know, the we we always look at the people that we bring into organizations and see hopefully we see the potential that they have um, and then the amount of uh, stuff that we have to get them to where we want them uh, to where we can go and and uh, have them do this kind of stuff. And we have to educate them, we have to invest in them and we have to let them know that, hey, look, this is all of the options that we have um, and and let them practice them let them train with them and get out there and do the sets and reps so that way they have the confidence they have the ability to go and do that kind of stuff
2: yeah and i think i I want to emphasize what i talked about last week too that is that um, while we look through this information and we get these new reports and we look at these things um and uh, ray last week i talked about um that uh, small training companies tend to react too quickly to information sometimes and can go down a bad road. Uh, but also, larger state fire academies and things like that tend to be like a really large ship where it takes a long time for them to change kind of their course of direction. And I think what we need to think about it like is that those uh, state and larger fire academies need to, need to be able to react a little bit quicker to the information. Um, and i think these smaller training companies like ours need to react a little more slowly let things kind of develop out and, and, and kind of extract the information from it and take a little bit longer for us to do that so that we don't send mixed signals across the fire service a lot and uh, just like i said last week the really good news about all this is while we're going through all this information and we're trying to decipher all these different ul reports which are um the most tremendous thing has happened to us since Lloyd Lehman in the 50s I mean these studies are the most amazing thing maybe the straight stream studies in Fairfax County in the late I guess it was late 80s uh, but this is the most significant research I've ever seen in my serv- my fire service career and so that information can be great the best news to all of us is nothing in any of this stuff takes away from us being a better fire department at, line, at, at doing our hand lines. Uh, at beginning to get better at throwing our ground ladders by ourselves, uh, being able to do search and rescue while maintaining orientation. All those basics that we have, what we can all do while we're trying to go through this information and see if there's a better way to do it is practice all of that stuff. We get all that stuff out of the way as a fire department and we're better at all those things, stretch and choosing the right hand line, doing a stretch estimation, knowing where to throw a ladder, knowing what size ladder to get to begin with when, before you go around the seaside of a building. Uh, the pump operating, knowing what pressures to pump at, all those things, if we're better at all those things, when this new information comes along, it won't be such a big deal to us. We can just simply transition over and say, okay, we're doing these things well. You know, we know we can get a line in service on one-story house and into the seat of the fire in a minute. That's our goal. Um, now, when we see different things, we can kind of, it's easier for us to react if we keep going. So what we need to do as a fire service is keep working on the basics, working on the basics, working on the basics, um, and keep doing that and getting better at all those things and then all this information will be much easier for us to kind of decipher later on when um, new tactics may come out of it
1: yeah bobby i'd agree with you and I um, you know again all of us have had many conversations over the years but i always say we're only as good as our last call so even now in uh, all this craziness and the zombie apocalypse of COVID 19 that's going on um you know we still have the ability to train it might not be uh to the degree that we want to but there's really not an excuse to sit back and not advance on these things and uh you be part of these conversations and uh i just want to give my appreciation to the three of you and uh ben for setting this up and ray and bobby for lending your voices to this because there's so much valuable information that uh, you guys have chosen not only to make yourselves students of but also pass along and network and mentor everybody else in the fire service and you know, try to make us like Bobby said. Just you know, we're trying to be that better firefighter, that better fire department each and every day. So uh, kudos to all of you, and I really appreciate your time and effort on this.
3: I would say that there, um, obviously, with the reports going out, uh, people in fire departments have to look at them carefully, and and take a little time to digest them and see how the uh, things mentioned in a report. Uh, translate to your fire department. In other words, you may be doing a lot of what is already mentioned in the report as a possible best practice, or you may be behind the curve. And uh, the implementation, of course, is another uh, big thing for the American Fire Service. How do you implement all these ideas into your procedures? And um, I think, I know a lot of people are not big on standard operating procedures or standard operating guidelines, but I think through these studies uh, you might be a little foolish not to have some of that uh, as part of your fire service doctrine because the uh, use of sequential actions, the use of a good size up early occupation of the space is another big thing that's uh, you're going to see with this report that, and and even in the uh, fire attack report, early occupation of the space is critical to saving lives. Uh, so the UL also has a search study going on concurrently uh, right now. Uh, that's a whole nother panel looking at that. That's going to be another element that gets added added to this whole thing. So we're going to have a a nice picture of things uh, in the near distant future. And but implementation is hard because uh, some fire departments move at a snail's pace, which is not not always bad because then they're not taking on things that are incorrect necessarily. Sometimes people jump too fast on things. We saw that with the transitional fire attack. And now we at least have a good balance. And with the uh, ventilation study, especially the commercial building portion of the study. You're gonna see some interesting things there uh, as for hose line choices. And uh, I think that's a, a very important component of this. Um, the other thing that we look at um, with all these things is trying to get everybody on the same page. And that is really the daily task of a fire department to make sure their members know what they're doing. and to develop, um, whether it be through drills or the written procedures that we really need to have firefighters fully understanding what the operational parameters of a fire are and what their role in that fire is. And when we don't have that, we have issues. And uh, you know, everybody wants to minimize the problems on a fire ground. Well, one of the biggest problems is, and I, I've said it before and I'll say it again, firefighters don't read. And we need firefighters that are into the job and it doesn't require you to be doing it eight hours a day, but it does require some, some of your time. And if you're really proud to be a firefighter, you should be proud to uh, study what's going on in the fire service with your own department and outside your fire department, have an interest in a job that can, uh, can impact your life.
0: Yeah, Ray. I was just going to, um, we're at like 50 minutes and as part of wrapping it up, uh, I was going to mention a lot of the things that you had, you just talked about, like you, you, mentioned the transitional attack and all that stuff. When that first came out, that was, um, it was like the best thing since sliced bread. Holy cows, transitional attack. You should never just, you know, it was, it was the way to go. And, um, like you, like you see a lot of people, um, you know, that that's nothing new that the, that the fire service hasn't done before. Um, it was called something different. Now we're calling it transitional attack. Um, you know, it, it all, everything is cyclical in the service. Um, and then talking about having policies, you know, I, I agree that, you know, we need to have policies. We need to have guidelines, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we need to have something so that way everybody is on the same sheet of paper uh, and knows the expectations. But again, still allowing, you know, you guys to pull up to a, to a house fire and say, hey, wait a second, I know the policy says this, but you know, this is this is something outside of that realm and giving, the, giving that first arriving engine company officer or whoever it may be the ability to say, hey, wait a second, we gotta change our roles and we gotta do, you know, X, Y, Z. And we're gonna jump down in that policy a little bit before we come back and do our first couple. Um, and then long, as long as, you know, we communicate that out to all the other responding units then, I, then there's no issue with that. Um, you know, and I think that's, that's another thing that the fire service is just, um, you know, it's hit and miss on what you get with it. But as far as the communication, you know, yeah, we're going to change our tactics for this, for a brief part of this call um, and making sure that gets transmitted out. But, you know, do we do that with everything else? You know, like, like we talked about with um, these studies coming out, I was, I saw the, the link pop up for this, this last report, and I was excited, like, heck yeah, we're gonna read this, gonna see what we got going on, and I download it. And it's like, oh, that's that's five hundred pages. <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm gonna read that this soon, but yeah. holy cow, uh, you know. So in in preparation for this, you know, going through and you know trying to find some of the bigger things, um, you know, the tactical, the the I forget which section it was. I have it over here somewhere, um, but where it, it really speaks to how how operationally we need to look at it and see where we need to go with this research, um, was, was the big thing I kind of flipped through, um, just to get ready for this. And now, you know, go back and study how, how did they set up the, the, um, each experiment, each evolution and, you know, what were the specific specifics for that? And that's all stuff that, um, it's not, a lot of it's not fun reading, but you have to understand that before you go in and you read the, the results and the tactical decisions and all that kind of stuff to, to have a full understanding of the whole thing. So that way you don't get the this is how we got to do it. But it really doesn't make sense when you go back and read that. it and maybe it doesn't apply to your department the way that it was set up in the evolution and the experiments. So um, why don't we kick it around around the square one more time? Uh, we'll kind of wrap it up. Uh, so, Chief. Why don't you go next and uh, drop a little knowledge on us for us before we go.
1: Um, pretty much all my knowledge is spent. That's all. That's all I got. I have any more than that. But uh, now I just want to thank everybody for being here. Uh, you know, we know that we've all been in the fire service for a while. We know firefighters, they don't like the way things are and they don't like things to change. And uh, to kind of dovetail into Ray's point, uh, you know, the days of firemen just being you know weak minds and strong backs are, is long gone. You got to be a student of the game, and you got to keep learning. Have that desire to keep learning, and get out of your own comfort zone a little bit. Because once you think that you know how a building is going to react, or you, you think you have that crystal ball in the right front seat or in the cheese buggy, uh, you're kidding yourself at that point. So, uh, you know, again, I think policies and procedures are very important, but at the same time, it's it's a playbook, and not every play goes as it's designed. So, with that being said, you know, understanding fire behavior, knowing that all right, well, here's what my plan A, but be able to go to plan B, C, and D, or be able to do something on the fly. I mean, we remember playing sandlot uh, football, and sometimes you just gotta draw that play in the dirt and make it up as you go along, but it's based on something, it's just not fly by night. And the information that we're getting from these studies, which are more, I think, realistic and more tangible to us and translatable and digestible for the fire service, uh, we're gonna do a lot better with this and I go back again to saying, you know, we're only as good as our last call. You know, we should always look at ourselves, realize that our skill sets are perishable, and that, uh, you know, we we need to constantly practice. And yes, people get tired of the basics, but, you know, have we mastered those things? Are we are we going to practice until we get something right? Or are we going to practice until we really can't get it wrong? Or if something does go, does go wrong, it's recoverable for us. And I know Bobby teaches a lot to that also, is that, hey, you're going to mess up a stretch from time to time. You're going to have a pile of spaghetti when you pull that cross lay, but you just can't throw your hands up in the air and call a timeout or take a mulligan. You've gotta be able to recover from it and get the job done. And uh, you know, keeping a focus on what we do on a daily basis as firefighters and having that pride in the industry. So uh, you know, again, I just wanna thank everybody for being here tonight and all of our panelists. Uh, these are people I have a great deal of respect for in the fire service and they're they're taking us forward. So thank you all very much and everybody stay safe.
0: All right, thanks Trevor. thanks, Trevor. We'll kick it on down to Bobby.
2: Oh, thanks, Ben. So
0: yeah, it's been it's been a fun time. It's
2: been good listening to Ray and hearing the things that have been going on in, in the fire service. Um, you know, just to kind of wrap things up, uh, we have about 450,000 working structure fires in our country per year. We kill between two to 3,000 civilians in those structure fires. We kill about 10 firefighters. And of those 10 firefighters that unfortunately pass away uh, many of them are medical emergencies that happen inside of the actual building. So, uh, the numbers say that interior attacks. Okay. So we need to go back to the, our default needs to be that interior aggressive fire attack, because that is what's going to say that eight year old in flannel pajamas. Um, so just hold your heads up high, um, teach people to be comfortable working in those conditions, teach them to work well in those conditions and quickly in those conditions. But we all got to start thinking about defaulting back to interior firefighting. Let's go get these kids out. Let's go save these properties, let's minimize the loss. That's what we all signed up for as well we swore to. So, um, and we'll, we'll keep looking at other information. There's a better way to do it. We'll come up with it. But right now, as I look at all the different studies and trying to go through all this stuff, it still seems to me that the most effective way to save that eight year old in flannel pajamas is get that line in service and get that kid out. So thanks a lot, Ray and Ben and Trevor it has been awesome talking with you guys. And, uh, I will pass it over to Ray.
3: Well, uh I agree with everything that's been said. The early occupation of the interior of the structure is really critical for life-saving, uh whether it be a ladder company or whoever is doing a search component, uh getting inside that occupancy and looking around. Uh as we all know, most of the victims of fire die from smoke inhalation. And so, and we all know that the fires are reaching flash over at a three and a half to four minutes in the room is flashed over, and the uh the smoke that's in these buildings is uh lethal very quickly so um early occupation, whether it be the hose line or uh a search, if you look at the floor plans of uh the UL studies for the fire attack you will see that there's a red zone where the fire is and it extends into the hallway and then there's a yellow zone and then a green zone and basically they refer to temperatures within the structure so you can see that the balance of the house is a green zone the vast majority of the home is a green zone and as you get closer to the fire room it's yellow to red so just based on the temperatures alone we should we should be in there early on and trying to claim as much real estate as possible for the search. Uh, We never want our engine officers to be overly uh, worried, if you will, about doing an interior fire attack. This should be the first thought on every engine officer's mind. Now if they need to hit something from the exterior, that's perfectly fine. They can do that. That's not an issue. The issue is to make sure that we get a line inside to protect those that are searching, and to protect the peoples that that are inside that we need to rescue. So, uh, going in the interior is within our capabilities, and it's within the best life-saving practices we have. Uh, So, study up, come up with a good plan for your fire department. It's not going to cover all contingencies, but uh, as long as it covers uh, the boundaries of egress and firefighter protection and civilian life protection. I think you're you're in a good place and um, you definitely have to train. Nobody gets good on this just by talking over the kitchen table. You have to get out there, practice your fire attacks uh, however you can. Uh, you can certainly practice most of it without the without the realism of fire and then of course, When you have that opportunity, you have to take full advantage of it. But um, we have to get people uh, stretching lines quickly and making entry and getting in there for those 3,000 or so people that are perishing in house fires every year. We can get the number down. And I think the studies and people paying attention to what they do and getting good at the craft will certainly increase uh, the savable numbers. And it's been my pleasure to be here tonight.
0: All right. Well, thank you guys. Um, It's always an honor uh, to get to talk with Trevor and Bobby. I haven't worked with them before. Ray, it's it's truly a pleasure, sir. Uh, We appreciate you coming on here. Um, So this is going to wrap up. Strike the Boxes. Um, Second webcast. If you guys look across the bottom, uh, you see our Facebook page, our Twitter uh, handle, I think is what that's called. I'm not real sure about that stuff. Uh, and then our website. So please, um, to watch a, a recap of this, we're going to post all of that stuff on there. Um, and, of course, if you guys are looking for, um, you know, somebody to come out and do some training with you guys, we are we are more than happy to come share our experiences with you. Um, just give us a shout, uh, like I said, through any of the information that's scrolling across the bottom of your page now. Uh, again, thank you for everybody coming tonight. We really appreciate Uh, the, the wonderful conversation. Uh, And, you know, as we sign off here with everything going on, it's a crazy time right now uh, with the Rona. Uh, So take care of yourselves, take care of your family, take care of your crews um, and stay safe. And we'll uh, we'll see you guys soon. Thanks. Have a good night.